Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne, on Wurundjeri country of the Kulin Nations, and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Iris Lee. There was nobody that she wouldn't talk to or wouldn't challenge. Um, I saw her do it with politicians, um, sex workers of all kinds, um, criminals, vice squad. There was nobody that Roberta wouldn't talk to. She tried to keep the conversation going all the time. Clients, you know, (laughs) there was nobody. On this episode, I take a peek at the legacy of sociologist, trans rights and sex worker rights activist Roberta Perkins, who passed away in June 2018 after 77 years of a very full life. And note that this episode includes language for trans people and sex workers that may be dated or a slur if used by people outside that identity. Roberta was a founding member of organisations in New South Wales that fought for sex worker and trans rights from the 1980s. She was a prolific researcher and writer from her first book, The Drag Queen Scene, Transsexuals in King's Cross, published in 1983 where she first caught my attention some years ago. In her obituary paper written by Scarlet Alliance and the Sex Worker Outreach Project of New South Wales, they write, and I quote, Roberta's impact on the lives of sex workers and trans people cannot be overstated. I speak with Eurydice Aroni, Senior Lecturer in Journalism at the University of Technology, Sydney. I asked how she knew Roberta. Okay, so in the 1980s in Sydney, um, I was a sex worker and I um, uh, got into trouble and my friends and I, who I was my workmates and I, went to the Australian Prostitutes Collective and I became involved with the collective and Roberta at that point in about 1980, maybe 86. She was already well known by that point by that stage and the collective was very well known um i'd had nothing to do with them um but um uh at that point but very quickly i got involved i think because um the collective was very um vibrant at that time very and uh still in its early days and it has you know already been funded and things like that so they were very um busy and one of their things that they did that roberta did was outreach Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I became her outreach partner. Um, so um, we used to go out, you know, two or three nights a week. Sometimes we'd go out to the country. And um, she was very tall and I was much smaller. <laughs> and I think I got that job with Roberta because she was such a fast driver. So everyone else was too scared to go in the car with her and they knew that I was new and I... I didn't know that, so I think that's why I was given that important job. 
she'd already established Theresia's House, it was called, yeah? Yeah. Which was the precursor for the Gender Centre. And it had been so successful. Um, and she used to tell that story a lot about the what she did um, and what others did um, to get that up and running, but she was mostly responsible <coughs> um, because she developed a relationship with the then Attorney General, Frank Walker, and um, he read her book, The Drag Queen Scene, which I think that you've read too. Yes, I have. Yeah. And um, so he read her book and was very moved by it, and so moved that he one day she could just got a call out of the blue um, from his, this is how she tells it, from, from his secretary or uh, assistant. And um, that person said, Frank, I'd like to see you. Can you come and see him? And she went to see Frank and he um, told her how important it was that there be somewhere for, for people like, in Roberta's book, had somewhere to sleep, somewhere to put their heads, I think was the way that he'd said it to her. And, um, yeah, he wrote her a, a cheque, you know, to go and um, I think it was to rent a place initially. Um, I'm not sure, but she soon bought a place and um, that was the first refuge and, you know, one of the very first, if not the first, um, funded, government-funded uh, place uh, for trans and, and, you know, they weren't called, people weren't called queer at that time, but you know, a variety of people, yeah, to to go and um, have somewhere to live when things got tough, and that was a very important um, place. And you know, there's quite a lot of people around who um, have memories of that time, and of course, um, the gender center sort of came from those beginnings. So that's what I know about that. Yeah. Part of the story, part of Roberta's story, and that she fought some important court cases around that time, or challenged some of the laws. Um, I'm not sure that they were always all that um, their sort of challenges were always successful in the courts, but she certainly went to court uh, with people and in support of people, and also did um, protests. Like I've seen protests, there's photos of protests. Um, in Manly, for instance, which is where she lived, in Harbord mm. on Sydney's northern beaches, which you might think of the last place in Australia for there to be a yeah. um, a significant, really early, very public protest, yeah, mm. um, which she was part of, where she took her top off, yeah. So um, that's in the Corso in, at Manly. I've got photos of that. Well, I've seen photos of that. Women's on a light. Women on the line. Women on the line. (laughs) Since Roberta's passing, I have started to go through her archive and it really wasn't until um, she came to Sydney um, and had a kind of an identity crisis. I suppose she wanted to come here because she did want to get involved in the politics and blend in and find people who were more like herself because she came from Adelaide. She also lived in Western Australia. So she didn't really land in Sydney until um, she was close to 40. This is my understanding. And then became, you know, became an activist, I guess, and a writer Mm. and a researcher, an academic. Um, Yeah, so... You know, she had a very, and 
even though she she did all the trans activism stuff um, through her research, through being uh, she got involved in research. Um, she was doing a ma- she wanted to do a masters and uh, got involved and then wrote the drag you know did the research for the drag queen scene and then masters and then published the book and that dragged her into a politics you know a politics of um, uh, the trans sex workers and the showgirls her going through her own um, you know transformation I, I don't know you know mm-hmm. in a way yeah that's you know she'd tell me stories about um, going up the clubs and and becoming, you know, becoming like the people that she was um, researching, you know, becoming part of that community, but from the outside at first as a researcher and then that personal connection that she had to it. So, and then that took her onto sex work um, uh, because so many of those people were doing sex work, yeah? Mm. So there was that life, but that was, you know, she'd already had children and... Um, been married twice um, to women. And um, so there was a, com- you know, there was a complex kind of world behind that that um, she felt she had to leave behind. Mm. It was very sad, I think. Um, but she reconnected with that family um, when she got older, you know, in the last couple of years, so. She had an enormous influence on, um, as we've already discussed, on the trans community and how they um, defined, um, you know, and, and organised a political voice, yeah? Yeah. Um, through her publications and her research and, and you know, establishing the, the refuge. And then... Um, and that connected in with the sex work community and her research on sex workers was just um, extraordinary. Mm. Really extraordinary. It still is. Um, it, it still is now, not only because it was so um, thorough and, um, <laughs> you know, sort of challenging, but um, that she was such a big personality and... Um, her and the and the other people in the in the Australian prostitutes collective that they really took um, took you know engaged in a very public way um, as sex workers for the for um, and there hadn't been a lot of that in Australia or in the world really at that time um, but they were very much um, in people's faces and and that was partly due to them but it was also partly to do with the government because the government changed you know, um, decriminalised um, sex work, street, street-based sex work in mm. 1979, which was just so unusual and so unexpected, pretty unexpected. I mean, people people had thought it was going to happen because Rand had kind of indicated when he got voted into government um, in the late 70s that one of his political planks was to um, get rid of victimless crime and... Um, soliciting on the street, you know, so a wider soliciting in general, not just sex work, yeah, but soliciting um, uh, charges on the street so that, you know, homeless people, drunk people, people with mental illness, yeah, weren't um, 
grievously picked up for soliciting or, yeah, the police yeah. couldn't call it use that as a way of victim of, you know, there's no victims there except the people themselves and police couldn't use that against them. So um, sex work was decriminalised part of that in 1979 and um, that meant there was, a, there, was a, there was a big response to that from sex workers and um, so, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on on the streets um, in Darlinghurst and... Um, on, on different levels, not just with the street workers, but it then it affected the brothel, brothels in um, in Darlinghurst as well. And there was a lot of police corruption. So the police weren't happy uh, with what was going on. So there was a, you know, there was political battles, battles between the police and, and the government. And um, then local government was also involved. So, you know, sex workers were really part of that mix and because they were, there were so many of them working on the streets, mm. I mean, it wasn't like it is now. Um, mm. uh, Roberta and the Australian Prostitutes Collective were able to capitalise on that as part of their organising, yeah? So because all that was happening, what because all that was happening, that was, that was already... Um, being taken notice of by the media, sex workers or the sex worker rights movement were able to step into that, yeah, step into that play and be part of a, a public voice. And Roberta was very good at that. You know, she was funny. She knew lots of people. She wasn't frightened. She was very brazen. Um, and um, and some would say domineering, mm. yeah. Um and um, so, yeah, she was a huge figure and she did a lot of research with a lot of different people. She involved other sex workers. I was involved with um, some of her research. Um, the people that she researched tended to be politicised by her as well. So mm. she had a big influence on the movement in that way. Um, you know, she, she was uh, um, seen as a mentor or as an inspiration for lots of people who... Um, went on to to be involved with the movement so and her research is just fantastic even today i mean i i still um read it enjoy it um i've just found a whole lot of in her um she's got this magnificent archive across the stolen lands now called australia you have been listening to women on the line let's hear more from researcher Eurydice aroni's work coming from roberta perkins you can find her timeline on how New South Wales decriminalised sex work 1979 to 1995 at www. archives have informed your project on the struggle for sex worker rights in New South Wales. Um, could you talk more about that project and the website you have? Um. Okay, uh, okay, so I've been researching, I started with Roberta's archive, yeah? So even before Roberta was um, passed on and passed her archive, I, ha- I was looking after it because I was looking at, um, I was Roberta's friend and um, she needed to go into residential care. Her health wasn't good and the flat got sold and her archive luckily ended up in my office. Mm. <laughs> so um, it's been um, 
you know, on its way to the library. So um, on its way to swap and then to the library. Um, obviously, Roberta was alive at that time, which meant that I could... Um, I didn't need to ask her much because she was a hoarder. So there's a lot of archives and mm. some things missing. But what we did was we had a... Um, as part of, of, well, not that process, but we also um, swapped this because I knew that the archive was going on its way. Well, not on its way because Roberta died quite suddenly. So it wasn't on its way. It was living at my place and then Roberta got sick. Um, but anyway, as part of that um, swap, well, I, I and Julie Bates organised an archive day at swap and we got the archive together and our sex workers to come along and... Um, Anyone who was interested, sex workers, could come along and we'd um, go through the archive before it was taken to the library. So, you know, there's, we've had people in it. I've tried to distribute copies and things from the archive on Twitter as much as I can and get people interested in it. But as part of that, all that, you know, I've been working on this for quite a couple of years um, on the archive and getting it out there and trying to attract people to it. Um, we found some tapes, we've got um, quite a lot of um, recordings um, that Roberta did with sex workers in the 1980s, um, you know, the interviews that she did for her books and things like that. Um, there's some great things in it. Um, so, yeah, my my thing has been, my research has been looking for stories in that, Um so in terms of publications, um, uh, Professor Law Professor Penny Crofts, who's done a lot of work on sex work research, especially in New South Wales around regulation and policy, we've, we've just about to publish a paper from the archive about Roberta's influence um, on research, her research and how that research influenced the Select Committee on Prostitution, which ran from 83 to 86, and out of that committee came the um, the recommendation that decriminalisation in New South Wales continue to happen and that brothels be decriminalised and private street workers be decriminalised, the whole lot be decriminalised, living off the earnings, everything. Um, and that was mainly, that was a lot of the influence on that committee was down to the Australian Prostitutes Collective of which Roberta was a part. And there were a lot of people involved, but, you know, they submitted the Australian Prostitutes Collective and the Task Force for Prostitution, which she was part of, submitted 22, um, you know, um, submissions to the Select Committee and had an enormous influence, 22 submissions out of around 100 in total. So, and they, their submissions really dominated the whole Select Committee report. So um, you could say that the Australian Prostitutes Collective, I think, um, uh, without that, without their influence, uh, we wouldn't have decriminalisation in New South Wales, which is pretty extraordinary, especially extraordinary because New South Wales is still only one of two places in, in the whole world to have decriminalised their sex industry. So, I mean, I laugh. It's, it, I mean, the, the really... The, the sad thing is, of course, that um, that happened in... Um, 1995 mm. and um, in 2003 New Zealand decriminalised but no one else has followed in fact 
Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, that was women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> Some people might know, some people listening might know that it's gone quite in the opposite direction in terms of global policy around global prostitution policies. And that's, you know, I use that term because that's what they're called. Um, uh, Attending to be more punitive and certainly in terms of punishing clientele or, yeah, um, living off the mm. earnings. Um, and those two laws, are, 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 uh, and of course, Festa, uh, Foster Festa, you know, yeah. the, the clamping down of the internet and things like that. So, on the whole, if you look at the direction of law across the world, um, it's going in the opposite direction. Decriminalisation has hasn't really had um, the impact that the movement would would have hoped for, especially as the movement came out around the same time as. You know, the, in Roberta's day, um, feminists, um, they had, the sex workers had more feminist support, certainly in New South Wales. Um, and they certainly had, um, uh, uh, they were working alongside um, the gay and lesbian um, m- movement um, uh, who were facing similar struggles, yeah? Facing mm. similar degrees of struggles around um, laws against, you know, having sex and all sorts of things, you know. Those laws that actually came into the bed, you know, were part of the bedroom, were part of the actual physical act. Although um, Roberta had an enormous impact, um, you know, and, and the time that... And she was she was really inspired by what was going on um, in the United States and Britain in particular. She had contacts. She made contacts with... Um, uh, Margot St. James and Coyote in the United States and the English Collective of Prostitutes and also went to France uh, mm. um, to where the co- kind of European, the contemporary European movement began in France. And she even went there and went to the, you know, the places and and looked for the, the people and the stories about what was... You know, she, she researched the rights movement in a global sense. And at one, when she was doing that, she was being inspired by what she thought was their, lead, you know, their um, their innovative policies in Europe, and um, yeah, and the kind of militant um, militant movements on the ground as well. But um, but in the end, um, well, right now, you know, as, as it stands now, um, New South Wales and New Zealand, and hopefully soon other parts of Australia, um, will. We'll be setting, yes, yeah, setting setting a high setting a high bar um, mm. in contrast to the rest of the world. And yeah, the, like there's still so many things to fight for in New South Wales around, yeah, um, anti discrimination and stuff, and the local yeah. council stuff, and with migrant sex workers targeted That's all the time. Right. That's right. So, what would you say about Roberta's legacy in terms of like the context now, in terms of? I guess, like, yeah, the global currents aren't particularly, as you said, there's a lot of, um, there's a whole, like, attacks on sex workers. There is an opportunity for people to really um, uh, put the record straight, I think, um, around um, the contribution um, and the collaboration 
between um, uh, trans people and well, they are sex workers, and you know, there's there is um, still a story to be told about leadership and um, strength and um, all sorts of things and collaboration within the sex worker rights community and the importance and the utmost kind of importance of trans figures like Roberta, yeah, um, definitely, yeah. And I think Roberta's archive and archives like that, and I've seen some things like that um, in in the States. Um, when I was in the States at the Desiree, um, the Desiree Conference, the last Desiree Conference, um, where there was an eno- enormous, a representation and strength in terms of um, what was going on in the movement and uh, people like Monica Jones and, you know, it was some very impressive stories and I think we should continue to to look to those stories to, to tell them, yeah, in the best way mm-hmm. possible to the world, all of us together and, um, you know, just recognise each other and work with each other. Look, without Roberta... As leaders in our movement, as people in our movement together, uh, we wouldn't be where we were. So it's up to us to tell the history, to remember things, um, to know about what went on. Um, I think that helps. I mean, obviously that's why I'm why I work with the archive and, and try and remind people and Roberta was really about that too trying to give um, uh, legitimacy to the movement humour bringing people together learning from each other you know she always used to say you know um, we're humans first and um, she approached uh, Roberta, um, there was nobody that she wouldn't talk to mm. or wouldn't challenge. Um, I saw her do it with politicians, um, sex workers of all kinds, criminals, vice squad. There was nobody that Roberta wouldn't talk to. She tried to keep the conversation going all the time. Clients, you know, <laughs> there was nobody. I was with her for all those conversations over and over again. Thanks to Eurydice Aroni, Senior Lecturer in Journalism at the University of Technology, Sydney, for the interview. This episode has only covered a small facet of Roberta Perkins' life and legacy. I hope to cover more on Queering the Air, which I also present on, broadcast on 3CR Community Radio. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne on Kulin Nation's land and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by Litigra. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded at www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studio 